This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is God's Perfect Plan. In the first half, L. Tom Perry shares his address, The Great Plan of Our God. Then in the second half, Marcus B. Nash speaks on Guided Safely Home. In the 14th chapter of the book of Luke, we find a great multitude following the Savior to hear his message. We read, For which of you intend to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after you have laid the foundation, you are not able to finish it. All that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I am afraid I find all too often those in life's experiences who are just leaving them to chance. Yes, I even find some of the students here when I talk to them about their major. I say, What are you majoring in? I get a blank look on their face and they say, Oh, I haven't decided yet. I'm just filling groups. I found a great answer for this in a comic strip recently in a Sunday paper. Dennis and his playmates were gathered around. One speaks, Let us pretend that I'm the teacher and you're the student. Dennis replies, Oh, that's a stretch. The teacher responds, Let us then draw a picture of what we want to be when we grow up. Okay, who's first? One speaks up. I'm going to be a fireman, the second a soccer player, the third a ballerina, of course. Then they ask, Dennis, what about you? I don't even know what I'm going to be for Halloween, he replies. (laughs) I'm afraid too many of you are in that vein, not thinking more than past Halloween. If you want a real example of planning, I want you to turn to the scriptures. See how carefully the Lord laid out His guide for His children here for their eternal destiny. Perhaps for an example, if you follow His careful planning, it might motivate us to give more energy to spending time sufficiently to plan what we want to accomplish with our mortal experience here. The Lord introduced to Moses the great planning process for His children. He declared, For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. His great plan, which included the atoning sacrifice of our Savior, was to provide immortality for every soul that lived on earth, and then the gift by the power of the priesthood to those that would adhere to His plan, life eternal, the greatest gift God has given to His children. Nephi declared, Oh, how great the plan of our God! In Moses we read, And now, behold, I say unto you, This is the plan of salvation unto all men, through the blood of mine only begotten, who shall come in the meridian of time. As we follow the course of scriptures, we find abundance reference to the Lord's plan, which He will accomplish for His children here on earth. The history of this process and following that plan certainly testifies to its completeness and its consistency. 
We read in the scriptures of the great council in heaven being held when which Satan came forward. That Satan whom thou hast commanded in the name of my only begotten, the same which was formed from the beginning, he came before me, saying, Here am I, send me. I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, that not one soul be lost, and surely I will do it. Therefore give me thine honor. But that was not the Lord's plan. For behold, my beloved Son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. In the Lord's plan we have the opportunity of accepting or rejecting. One gives us the blessings of immortality and eternal life. The other gives us challenges as we go forward. As we follow the history of man's sojourn here on earth, you must be impressed of how careful the Lord has planned for His children during the time that they would have this mortal experience. The periods of time the Lord has instructed His children with His gospel plan has been divided into dispensations. A gospel dispensation is a period of time in which the Lord has at least one authorized servant on earth who bears the holy priesthood. When the Lord organizes a dispensation, the gospel is revealed anew that the people of that dispensation will not have to be dependent on a past dispensation for the knowledge they receive of the plan of salvation. As we review the dispensations of time, a special lesson seems to be included in each one that we can apply to our ultimate destiny. The first dispensation begins with Adam. The Lord created man and Eve and placed them on earth and gave them the opportunity to choose. They were commanded not to partake of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, for they were told that surely they would be cast out of the garden if they would partake. But by partaking they would give them the opportunity of having mortality. They selected mortality. The fall was not a disaster. It was not an accident. It was a deliberate part of the Lord's plan of salvation. We were sent here to become offspring of the Lord, innocent of Adam's transgression. Yet our Father's plan subjected us to temptation and misery of a fallen world as a price to comprehend authentic joy. Without tasting the bitter, we would never be able to know the sweet. We required mortality's discipline and refinement for our next step in our development to become more like our Father. He was going to guide us through this experience by foreordaining prophets who had come to the earth to testify of our Savior and His divine plan and His mission. Adam was the first of these prophets. They heard a voice of the Lord and initiated a pattern of dispensations that would follow. That great event is recorded, and Adam in that day blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy concerning all the families on the earth, saying, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression my eyes are open, and in this life I shall have joy, and again in the flesh I shall see God. 
Adam presided over the first dispensation. He was called the father of all living. Adam stands as one of the noblest and greatest of all men. He received the priesthood and was appointed head of the human family. From him we have the beginning of mortal life. What does this first dispensation teach us? That all men are literally spiritual offspring of a heavenly father. They are born into mortality. They receive physical bodies. These bodies are created in the image of God, as Genesis tells us. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We are promised, if we receive the necessary ordinances, keep the covenants, and obey God's commandments, we will enter into exaltation and become more like Him, the Father of all. In Third Nephi, we received our charge. What manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. In this first dispensation, we learn that we're sons and daughters of an eternal Father and have the right of communicating with Him through prayer and receive answers and inspiration and revelation from Him. Include in your life's plan should be a constant and regular commission to call on the Father of all and receive instruction from Him. The second dispensation is that of Enoch. The Bible states that Enoch walked with God. He established the city of Zion, which became a powerful symbol of righteousness that we can obtain to on earth as well as in heaven. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, Next in line was the dispensation of Noah. He lived in times of great wickedness. He cried to the people to repent, but they would not heed his words. The failure to heed the cries of Noah caused the Lord to send a great flood, which came upon those hearers who would not listen and hearken to Noah's words. And only Noah and his family were saved. Thus Noah followed Adam in becoming the father of all living. Now the second and third dispensations teach us a great lesson of the result of the practices of choosing good over evil. Enoch and all that were with him marked the second great dispensation. And look how mightily they were blessed because they followed a righteous course. In the third dispensation, the people would not follow Noah and found destruction that follows sin. One of my favorite parts of the scripture has been reading King Benjamin, gathering the people together to hear his voice, realizing that now he was an old man and he would soon pass through the veil. He wanted them to hear and listen to his words as the final instruction from this beloved king. Some of the words that he spake are recorded in the book of Messiah. I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow beings, you are only in the service of your God. And behold, all that He requires of you is to keep His commandments 
And He has promised you that if you would keep His commandments, you should prosper in the land. And He doth never vary from that which He has said. Therefore, if ye do keep His commandments, He doth bless you and prosper you. And I say unto you, there are not any among you except the little children that have not been taught concerning these things. And what knoweth that ye are eternally indebted to your heavenly Father to render all to Him and that you have and are, and also have been taught concerning the records of the prophecies which have been spoken of by the holy prophets even down to the time of Lehi left Jerusalem. And all that has been spoken by our fathers until now, and behold, all that has been spoken which have been commandments to them from the Lord, therefore they are just and true. And now I say unto you, my brethren, after you have known and have been taught all these things, if you should transgress and go according to that which has been spoken, that you do draw yourself away from that Spirit of the Lord, and that ye may have no place in you to guide you in wisdom's path, that you be blessed and prospered and preserved. And I say unto you, that man that doth this, the same cometh out in open rebellion against God. For he listened to the evil spirit, and becometh an enemy of God and to all righteousness. Therefore the Lord has no place in him. And he, the Lord, dwelleth not in unholy temples. O all ye old men, and also ye young men, and ye little children, who can understand my words, for I have spoken plainly that you may understand, I pray that you should awaken to the awful remembrance of the awful situation of those who have fallen into transgression. The gift of agency is like fire, if properly controlled. It becomes the agency of life, but if improperly used, it becomes the agency of death. To choose right brings exaltation. We literally become sons and daughters of God and enjoy the fullness of His kingdom. Our agency, if improperly used, will deny us all of the blessings of exaltation. Alma declared, For I say unto you that Whatsoever is good cometh from God, and whatsoever is evil cometh from the devil. In these two dispensations we sought to seek after that which is good and wholesome. Our life's plan certainly should be to absorb all the good that we possibly can as we journey through this mortal experience. Search the scriptures daily, for if you search them you will find the road to life eternal. The next dispensation is that of Abraham. Few characters have been more prominent in the scriptures than was Abraham. Like Adam, Enoch, and Noah, his divine commission came from the Lord. The Lord declared to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, and to the land I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee above measure. And make thy name great among all nations, and thou shalt be blessed in thy seed after thee, that their hands they may bear this ministry and the priesthood unto all nations. 
and I will bless them through thy name. For as they receive the gospel, they shall be called after thy name, and shall be accounted thy seed, and shall raise up and bless thee as their father. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee and in thy seed, for I give unto thee the promise that this right shall continue in thee and in thy seed hereafter thee, shall all the families of the earth be blessed, even with the blessing of the gospel, which is the blessing of salvation, even life eternal. The Latter-day Saints are a covenanted people. Covenant means a binding and firm agreement between two peoples. In the case of Latter-day Saints, the covenant means an agreement with the Lord, in which we promise, in which we are promised many blessings from Him, on condition that we will observe and be obedient to His laws and His commandments. Our life's plan should include living worthy of making and keeping covenants with the Lord. I think one of the best ways is to live worthy of always being worthy to hold a temple recommend, having that opportunity of sitting in front of priesthood leaders and certify your worthiness to them. Now, following Abraham, we have Moses. He was one of the mightiest men that ever lived. He walked and talked with God. He was chosen to lead and deliver Egypt, uh, Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. He was privileged to receive for mankind the great law contained in the Ten Commandments. Moses was taught leadership in a most effective way. To me, leadership demands balance. Our prophet, President Hinckley, has given us priorities that we should allocate to balance our time to achieve our greatest success. What does he say is our first priority? First, we must always give our first priority to our family. That's number one. The second responsibility is to provide for our family through our employment and always be conscious of being faithful to our employer. The family proclamation declares, By divine design, fathers are to preside over their family in love and righteousness and are responsible to provide the necessities of life and the protection of their families. Next comes the opportunity to serve and build our Father in Heaven's kingdom on earth through service in His kingdom in the Church. Now, the fourth is very interesting to me. President Hinckley said, Time for yourself, time to study, to meditate, to plan and prepare. Every person needs time to prepare themselves to accomplish that which he wants to accomplish. The dispensation of Moses teaches us to follow his example, to follow prophetic leadership, and develop ourselves to be more effective tools in building our Father in Heaven's kingdom here on earth. Now look at those. First, we seek to understand who we are. We're sons and daughters of eternal Father. After we find out that, then we seek righteousness and refrain from evil. Then we find that we're covenanted people and we make covenants with the Lord. Then with that covenant we have the responsibility of becoming leaders. See how they follow a natural course as the Lord, as we study the scriptures, seems to always teach us such things. Then, of course, we have the greatest dispensation, the meridian of time. 
Jesus Christ the central figure in our doctrine as well as in the doctrine of all Christian faiths. He was more than just a sinless, good, and loving being. He was more than just being a teacher. He ministered on earth as a man, yet he was the Son of God. He died, was buried, and arose the third day to make the atoning sacrifice for all mankind, that death would not hold a permanent power for us. Because of that act, all would rejoice in joy immortality. In Alma, he declares, Yea, thus bringeth about the restoration of all things which is spoken of by the mouths of the prophets. The soul shall be restored to the body, and the body to the soul, and every limb and joint shall be restored to its body. Yea, even a hair of the head shall not be lost, but all things shall be restored to their perfect and proper frame. And now, my son, this is the restoration of which has been spoken of by the mouths of the prophets. And then shall the righteous shine forth in the kingdom of God. What does the Savior teach us? Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now I am before the light of the world today. You have been blessed to receive the Savior's gospel. It is incumbent upon you to let that light so shine before men that they may see your good works and learn more of God's eternal plan. Fundamentally, then, we are knowledgeable of God, the Lord's words. We have been given that through the ages of time, through His holy prophets. They have guided us into a plan the Lord has established for us. That plan is complete from the beginning of time until we have the opportunity, if we live worthy, of reigning with Him in the eternities to come. To me, the message of past dispensations reminds us that we are sons and daughters of an eternal Father. We have the privilege of communicating with Him and receiving inspiration for our guidance here in probation. Again, the second and third dispensation has us seek after that which is good and refrain from that which is evil. The next dispensation, we learn that we are bound to the Lord in solemn covenant, that He will provide us with eternal blessings according to our worthiness. The Mosaic dispensation teaches us leadership that will benefit us as we go through our mortal life. The dispensation of the fullness of times promises us immortality and eternal life as a gift from the Lord. The Lord never leaves His kingdom without a lawgiver, a leader, to direct His affairs here on earth. We are blessed to live in the dispensation of the fullness of times in which God has set up His kingdom which is to be an everlasting kingdom and never have an end. Our generation in the fullness of times has the benefit of all previous dispensations on which we can build our lives as we understand God's dealings with His children here on earth. We live in this remarkable age of this dispensation when the gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored in its fullness. We find ourselves being children of promise. 
I hope that means you just do not become common, but plan to excel. There is no place in the world for mediocrity. We must strive for perfection. We can only obtain perfection in areas that we seek and move forward to the goals that we have established for our lives. You have a rich heritage. Do not be afraid to act in accordance with gospel principles and enjoy its blessings as you fulfill the full measure of your creation here as a child of God. Listen to what King Benjamin promised us. Moreover, I desire that you should consider the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For, behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if you hold out faithful to the end and are received into heaven, that thereby you may dwell in God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember, these things are true, for the Lord God has spoken it. I hope today, as you leave this devotional assembly, you will spend more time looking at yourselves, giving yourself a personal analysis to see how you are planning for your eternal destiny to enjoy the blessings our Father in Heaven has promised you. I challenge you that if you do not have a plan, you will not go as far as you should. Make that plan complete in every detail. God will bless you that you may have the desire to go forward and seek your own salvation under the great plan the Lord has given to us. His great plan is for our eternal joy and happiness, which can only be ours if we follow Him as He reigns over us in order that we may enjoy immortality and life eternal. I testify to you that the resurrected Lord is our God. He's the Redeemer of the world. He came to earth and established His gospel here for us, for all to follow. That He foreordained Joseph Smith to be a prophet of God, to come in a high and holy calling, to receive revelations from Him, to establish His kingdom here on earth, and to hold the keys of this dispensation of the fullness of times. God grant us that that witness may ever burn brightly in our hearts and souls, that we may realize who we are, sons and daughters of an eternal Father, and we have the power to put into a plan of life that will follow His plan that will give us the direction to life eternal. May God bless us that this may be our goal and our plan is my humble prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is God's perfect plan. We've just heard from L. Tom Perry. After the break, we'll return with Marcus B. Nash for Guided Safely Home. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is God's perfect plan. Next is Marcus B. Nash, a member of the Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled Guided Safely Home. It is wonderful to be with you here 
I am a cougar through and through. I love BYU. I obtained both my undergraduate and graduate degrees here, created lasting friendships, and while a student at BYU, I convinced Shelley Hash to take a risk on me. She was the first of the two of us to graduate from BYU and is the best thing I gained from being here. I hope your time as a student will be as productive as mine was. <laughs> After I was called as a general authority, Sister Nash and I, along with our two youngest children, were assigned to Lima, Peru, where I would serve in the area presidency. On our first Monday there, we were given a brief driving tour so that we could learn how to get to and from places such as home, the children's school, the grocery store, and other places. Then they handed me the keys to the car. Now, this sounds simple, but the streets of Lima can be bewildering. Even seasoned inhabitants get lost. The traffic is in constant flow. The streets curve, twist, and turn, and never seem to intersect with another street to take you back to the exit you just missed. It can seem at times like the streets of Lima are designed to take the unwary exactly where they do not intend to go. So after driving for approximately five minutes that first day, I missed a turn and got us completely lost, and that was for a few hours. A year or two later, Sister Nash, driving on her own in Lima, got lost and ended up in a part of the city that was uncomfortable and even dangerous, and she did not know how to get home. Then, in a moment of inspiration, it came to her that our recently obtained GPS had a button marked Home. She pushed that button and was guided safely home. My dear students, my how we love you. The plan of salvation, one of the greatest treasures of knowledge, restored through the prophet Joseph Smith, is a perfectly, fully updated spiritual GPS. It is a celestial map given to unerringly guide us home. Now, please listen to what I'm about to say, even before you have heard, even though you've heard it before. Listen as if you are hearing this for the first time. Each of us here is a beloved son or daughter of heavenly parents, and we lived with them prior to our mortal birth. Motivated by perfect love and a desire to give each of us, as his children, the opportunity to receive all he has, our Father in heaven instituted a plan from before the foundation of this earth whereby we could obtain eternal life, the greatest of all the gifts of God. Put simply, eternal life is the life God lives. This plan of salvation was and is based upon law and truths that have always existed and that make God what he is and heaven what it is. When the plan was explained to us in the pre-mortal realm, you and I shouted, not only shouted for joy, but we also defended the plan against those who opposed it. The plan required that this beautiful world be created to give us a place to live in mortality outside of the presence of God so that we could receive a body and gain experience. Thus, Adam and Eve were placed upon this earth, and together they chose to fall from the presence of our Father in heaven and become mortal so that humankind could come into existence. For us, some things fundamental to eternal life could only be learned by experience. For example, a book or video may explain the different swim strokes, 
But we really only learn to swim when we exercise our faith by getting into the water and applying what the book or video describes. In a similar way, living in mortality with its attendant trials and opposition gives us the opportunity to learn by experience some things we could learn no other way, especially, and please listen to this, to learn how to live by faith. Our Heavenly Father understood that as mortal beings fallen from His presence, faced with opposition and temptation, we would sin. He knew that we and others impacted by our sins would, sooner or later, experience the misery that sin always produces. He knew that as a result of our own sins, we would become impure and thereby disqualify ourselves from entering the presence of God where nothing unclean can dwell. Thus, as a loving, just, and merciful God who desires our happiness here and in all eternity, our Heavenly Father provided as a part of His plan a Savior to redeem us from our sins through His atoning sacrifice. It is through the Savior's atonement that the plan is made operative. Because of the plan and the Savior's atonement, we could repent grow, be cleansed from sin, be happy even in tough times, and live with the hope that is the expectation of eternal life, the very life God leads. Now, knowledge such as that of the plan of salvation is only helpful to the degree it is applied. For example, a seatbelt will not do us any good in an accident unless we have put it on. Similarly, while it is good to know the plan, That alone is not enough. We must also apply it to our thinking, to our decisions and our actions, and that requires faith. Faith is confidence and trust that moves us to act. Indeed, it is the moving principle of action in all intelligent beings. Faith in Heavenly Father and His Son is both a principle of action and of power, their power. We focus our faith upon God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus plainly taught, and I quote him, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. End of his quote. Part of the reason for the Savior's mortal ministry was, and is, to reveal the Father to us through His teachings and His exemplary perfect life. In order to exercise faith unto salvation, again, that's eternal life we're speaking of, we must come to know our Heavenly Father and His Son and learn of their character, perfections, and attributes. To know them is to love and trust them completely, willing to submit to their will and law. As we do so consistently, which will require sacrifice on our part, We will come to know that our life is increasingly in accordance with their will. This knowledge will strengthen our faith even more, eventually making it powerful. If we fail to exercise faith in the Father and His plan of salvation and in Jesus Christ and His atoning sacrifice, we will fall far short of our divine potential. You see, we're not able to do it on our own. Mormon puts it this way, and I quote him, No man can be saved, save they shall have faith in his name. 
He adds that where there is no faith, and I quote him again, awful is the state of man, for they as though there had been no redemption made. So why is that? Simply stated, those who lack faith will lack the motivation and power to consistently live the law of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon which eternal life is based. Since the law was given to enable us to partake fully of the redemptive power of Christ and receive eternal life, those without faith to live that law are as though there were no redemptive power, and that is awful, especially when so much is offered us with so much love. Faith comes by reading, hearing, experimenting upon the Word of God and nurturing it with all diligence. When we do this consistently, we will feel swelling motions in our breast. Our souls will enlarge and our understanding will be enlightened. We will come to know that this is real, good, and true, for it is light and discernible. I've experienced this throughout my life, beginning in my youth. After reading the Book of Mormon as a teen, I asked in prayer if it was true. The response, interestingly, was to guide my mind to the peace, soul-expanding light, and understanding that had gently distilled upon me while reading the book. I knew it was true. And that knowledge was so sweet that at times, as a teen, I would hold the book to my chest as I went to sleep. That knowledge increased my faith, enabling me to seek more learning by study and also by faith. Perhaps, as I've reflected, perhaps chief among the many ills of the world is the widespread lack of faith caused by a famine of the Word of God. Many in our day are starving spiritually. Without belief in and obedience to the Word of God, there is no real foundation for faith in the Father nor in the Savior. As a result, many people know so little or have seemed to have forgotten what they once knew about the Father's plan of salvation that with a straight face they actually call evil good and good evil. Perhaps the confusion of some can be excused on account of their lack of knowledge of the plan. But we as Latter-day Saints have no such excuse. We are blessed to know the plan and are expected to share it as part of the restoration and to apply our knowledge of the plan to our lives and the decisions we make, which again requires faith on our part. Now, let's collectively exercise faith and example a couple of social, current social issues in light of our knowledge of the plan of salvation. Now note this, faith-challenging social issues have for centuries rolled through each successive generation. Through it all, the fundamental eternal doctrine of the plan of salvation and the need to learn to live by faith will remain unchanging. First, let's consider this observation by Elder Robert D. Hales of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles. Marriage and family are—and I'm quoting him now— Marriage and family are under attack because Satan knows that they are essential to obtaining eternal life, as essential as the creation, the fall, and the atonement and resurrection of Jesus Christ, having failed 
to destroy any of those pillars of the plan, Satan seeks to destroy our understanding and practice of marriage and family. End of quote. We know that the purpose of the plan is to give each of us the opportunity to obtain eternal life, the life God leads. So Heavenly Father's life defines eternal life. And one of the things we know about his life is that he is sealed in an eternal marriage of man and woman. So to choose anything less than the eternal marriage of woman and man is to choose something less than the full resplendent purpose of our Father's plan. God loves all of his sons and all of his daughters and would, and would have us know that each of us has the innate divine capacity to exercise faith in Christ and receive all the Father offers his children. In other words, none of us are predestined to fail. However, we should recognize that each of us comes into this world with weakness, which I will define as desires or tendencies inconsistent with the plan of salvation. Such things, to one degree or another, are inherent in the human condition. Moroni teaches that any son or daughter of God who will humble him or herself before God and exercise steadfast faith will, over time, experience the miracle of Christ making weak things become strong unto them. If we do not dictate a timetable to the Lord, we shall, like Joseph Smith, and I'm quoting scripture here, out of weakness be made strong. Any of us, whatever our weakness, can live with the assurance that if we see, that is, acknowledge our weakness and exercise faith in the Father and His plan and in the Savior and His atonement, and I'm again quoting scripture here, we shall be made strong, even unto the sitting down in the place which the Lord has prepared in the mansions of our Father. End of quote. For the faithful, such weakness is ultimately temporary. For when he comes again, and I'm quoting a beautiful scripture that I love, for when he comes again, quote, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. End of quote. Our Heavenly Father's plan of salvation, making eternal life possible for us, is the greatest expression of love ever made. If we choose by faith to live according to His law, despite our human weakness, we will one day Receive all that the Father has. Thus, to stand for the Father's plan is not hatred or bigotry. Rather, it is to express God's love. Second, there is societal concern about equality of woman and man. Why do not pretend to know all the answers? I do know. That, according to the plan of salvation, the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children, and that the ultimate expression of priesthood power is in the eternal union of woman and man. While we do not fully know what administrative structure will exist in the next life, we do know that families sealed in the temple will exist in the next life. When we contemplate mortality, 
against the backdrop of eternity, we should remember that the title of our God is not President, but Father. That alone speaks volumes about the organizational structure that most matters in the celestial kingdom and in eternity. So let's not get too distracted by temporal administrative structure. The ultimate purpose of the plan is that a husband and wife are happy at home and sealed for time and eternity so that they may receive eternal life, for their eternal union is part of the very definition of eternal life. You see, the ultimate equality of woman and man is godhood, something each can only do with the other by together entering into and abiding within the order of the priesthood of the new and everlasting covenant of eternal marriage. Importantly, the blessings pertaining to eternal life are promised jointly and severally to them, not severally to him or her. In the order of heaven, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Now, on these and other issues, we would do well to understand that the key to our success in the premortal life was to support the Father's plan. And as you can probably see, the key to success in this life is the same. Support the Father's plan. We must learn by faith to see life through the lens or from the perspective of the very plan about which we shouted for joy in our premortal existence. Now, Satan, who was thrust out of the presence of God for his rebellion against the Father and his plan of salvation, desires the misery of all mankind because he is aware of the protective, moving power of faith. He seeks to weaken and ultimately to destroy it. Time has shown that among the most effective weapons in his war against faith are sin, fear, and doubt. Maybe a couple of stories will illustrate the potentially disabling impact of doubt. Several years ago, I watched as our high school girls volleyball team in Washington State, where we're from, played in the state tournament. Many on the team feared and doubted they belonged in that tournament. So they played very poorly and were soundly defeated in the first game of their first match. Now contrast that with what happened next. There was a very special athlete on that team, and in the spirit of full disclosure, I must confess, she is our daughter. <laughs> and she happened to be the one who was to start service in the second game of the match. Knowing her, I expected to see something remarkable, and I did. She served 13 straight aces. Her greatest gift as an athlete was confidence, even faith. And when the game was on the line, she gave no room to fear or doubt. When the Savior saved Peter from slipping into the stormy sea, we all know this story, upon which Peter had been walking, he gently asked Peter, O oh, thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? In that insightful, probing inquiry, I hear the Savior saying to Peter, Despite what science and life experience would say, you were walking on water, so why did you doubt? Too many of our members have walked on water spiritually and do not know it. Or if they did know it once, they, like Peter, have taken their eyes from the Savior 
and pay more attention to the doubts suggested by some towering waves of secular thinking. Too many do not exercise faith in God and the eternal truths they know to be good and true. Instead, they operate from the perspective of culture, or worse yet, from the position of fear or doubt. Still others conflate the idea of questions with the concept of doubt. Questions and doubt are not the same thing. We can seek answers to honest questions with doubt, or we can do so with faith. The choice is ours. To do so through doubt is, frankly, to put ourselves and others at the risk of spiritual paralysis. On the other hand, to do so through faith is to progress, learn, and grow. In making this choice, please remember the Father who sought healing for His Son in the New Testament. The Savior reminded him that belief or faith was key. In response to the Lord's inquiry, the man cried out, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. In that moment, this admirably honest man declared his choice of faith and asked in faith to be helped with his unbelief. And that was sufficient because he chose faith Christ healed his son. As you know, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if you have faith, you hope for things which are not seen, which are true. Having faith means that we do not know all the answers to all of the questions all of the time. But it means we choose to live our lives consistent with the gospel truths we do know because we trust our God. So heed not the mocking, often condescending voices of those who have lost faith, including the online Iagos. And if you want to read Shakespeare's Othello, you know what I'm talking about. The online Iagos, whose object is to cultivate doubt, rather with the light of your faith, engage your reason, study prayerfully, patiently, and keep yourself anchored in the scriptures and in the guidance of the Spirit. Remember, we receive a witness after the trial of our faith, not of our doubt. Knowing this and appreciating the great power of faith, we can better understand that the Lord's command to doubt not, fear not, is akin to King Benjamin's instruction to put off the natural man. We're all acquainted, to some degree or another, with natural man tendencies, such as anger, impatience, selfishness, greed, etc., If left unchecked, such things will canker our soul. That is why we put them off. Doubt, too, can be part of the natural man experience, and it, too, will canker the soul if left unchecked. So while we do not panic at the manifestation of any of these natural man tendencies, we do learn to put them off through faith in the Father and His plan and in the Son and His atonement. So rather than over or underreacting, if doubt crosses your mind about what you already know to be good and true, see doubt just for what it is, a natural man impulse that can paralyze your thinking and actions. Then exercise your faith in the Father and in the Son by patiently, diligently living the gospel, trusting that light and understanding will come to those who patiently seek learning by study and by faith. It's a beautiful combination, those two. Now, these words, faith, diligence, patience, may not resonate with some who have grown up in a world of two-hour movies 
in which the earth is imperiled, then saved, where love is lost and then found, and that's all in the same movie. An invitation to faith and patience can seem like a delay tactic to those who impatiently wait two or three minutes for the microwave oven to heat their food, who complain over having to wait ten minutes in the line of a fast food takeout window, or who believe that all knowledge is instantly available through Google and maybe prayer. It can seem like a rebuff to others who have cried out for answers and feel they hear nothing in response but the echo of their cries. Regardless of our circumstance, the first answer is always, always the faith of which I have spoken and patience. My dearly beloved students, start with what you know to be good and true and hold to it. Lead with it. When Elijah invited the starving widow to give him food to eat, you remember that story? And promised that if she did so, her barrel of meal would not waste, neither would the cruise of oil fail. She, at that moment, had a choice to make. Stay with the stark reality of her impoverished life and have one last meager meal with her son before they died. Or she could exercise faith and Elijah's seemingly impossible promise, and live. She chose, at great personal sacrifice, to exercise faith, and so she lived. I promise that if you choose to exercise faith by daily reference to the plan of salvation and obedience to the truths of the gospel, you too will live, and that eternally you will experience peace in this life and eternal life, God's life, in the world to come. You will be guided safely home. In this way, the plan of salvation will be for you a personal GPS, an eternal global positioning system that by faith will unerringly guide you safely home. Now that home is before us not behind us. The journey of faith of which I speak is to go forward. It is to progress and grow and through the atonement of Christ become like our Heavenly Father, like our Heavenly Parents. There we will live as family, enjoying all that the Father hath. I bear witness this is the Lord's Church. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. The Book of Mormon is true. We are led by living prophets, by a living prophet. I know that our Father in heaven lives and loves us. And of that great love and of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was God's Perfect Plan with thoughts from L. Tom Perry and Marcus B. Nash. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.